0: Winter finally arrives on the south coast. It's actually quite nice, you know, it's January and we don't have any snow really yet. Which areas saw snow and the blustery blast that's coming next? Plus, an innocent man mauled by a police dog.
1: I was afraid that the dog at some stage will let go of my leg and attack my face.
0: The violent attack that still haunts him today. And porta potties on the parking deck. I'm probably holding in because I, silly me, don't like porta potties. Why BC Ferries brought in temporary toilets on a major route?
2: You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at six.
0: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight. A first real dose of winter has finally hit parts of the province. And while today's snow was fleeting for some areas, it's just the beginning of what's forecast to be a cold and stormy week for the coast and interior. Our Grace Key joins us with more on today's snow and its impact. Grace.
3: Yeah, we're all the way up here on the uh, Westwood Plateau here in Coquitlam where you can see that uh, the snow is still sticking around here. We'll see how long that lasts as much the area is now getting some very wet snow. I was shocked because I didn't know what's going on outside. That was most people's reaction after what was a fairly dry December and late start to the ski season. It's not too bad right now. It's the first blast of snow this winter. Drivers dug out their snow brushes while others planned ahead as the snow came down during the morning commute. On Vancouver Island, a few vehicles scattered in ditches. Highway 19 got hit with a bit more accumulation as well as the higher elevation areas.
4: It's not terribly cold, so it's coming off the road pretty easily for us. Uh, Uh, just peels up quite simply so it's a bit slushy Um, drivers might find it a little greasy out there Uh, so make sure you give yourself some extra time
3: in Coquitlam trucks were out on the Westwood Plateau one of the typical areas to get hit with snow in South Surrey the snow was a welcome sight for anyone anxious to get on the hills
5: I'm a big snow guy so I've been enjoying it so far
6: Uh, it's kind of nice that it's dumping so that the mountains up uh, get some snow and hopefully we can ski again.
3: The snow didn't stick around in most areas as it eventually turned into rain. On Burnaby Mountain, for one visitor from Brazil, it was an exciting sight.
6: This is my first time seeing snow here and I uh, love it. But uh, as my friend tells, tells me, uh, they say, the snow is good at the first time, so when you get one week, two weeks, one month of snow, you know How it can be very complicated and
7: annoying.
3: (laughs) But more snow and colder temperatures are expected and the province is gearing
5: up. We want to keep traffic flowing, we want to keep the roads clear and uh, we'll be salting, brining, preparing roads uh, in case of uh, freezing temperatures Uh, and we'll also have that heavy equipment in place in the event that anyone needs to be towed.
0: All right, Grace, wind is expected to be the next problem and BC Ferries is already making some changes.
3: Yeah. So, because of those strong winds that are expected, BC Ferries has canceled some sailings. Those are the 7 a.m. and 9 a.m. sailings. Those are the ones between uh, Towsend and Swartz Bay, going both directions. So, definitely, if you do have a sailing tomorrow, just you know, might be a good idea just to keep an eye on the situation in case there are any more
0: changes. So we. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that. Grace Key reporting live at Westwood Plateau tonight. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon is here now. Uh, Christy, we are starting to see more snow coming down in some areas at the moment. And then, of course, that wind we talked about.
8: Mm-hmm. That's right. So we've got two things that we're talking about right now, which is the alpha winds have developed and that's actually dropped the temperature across Southern Metro Vancouver enough down to one degree that we're seeing a transition back to some snow or wet snow. We are only expecting it to be snow or wet snow for the next hour or two at the most, because it is going to transition to be more of a southerly flow and that's going to warm things up again and transition back to rain. Here's a look at the winds that we're expecting. There's that southeasterly flow and the reason for the cancellation and in ferries we could see power outages especially through the Strait of Georgia along the west coast now it's initially a southeasterly flow this evening but we're going to see a transition to be a westerly flow through the overnight period and that's when we could see the winds impact Metro Vancouver power outages are certainly possible and we'll see those strong winds into the early morning hours tomorrow also it comes with a risk of thunderstorms so if you hear a rumbling tonight Sophie you know why back to you
0: all right, thanks, Christy. We'll talk to you in a bit. Now, this is the kind of weather that prompts municipalities to open warming centers for the homeless. But one such facility is generating controversy on Vancouver Island. The Cowichan Valley Minor Hockey Association is expressing concern, not about the center itself, but about its location. Kylie Stanton reports. If anyone knows the importance of
9: warming up, It's these players. But there's growing concern about a new warming center now open in the same facility as this arena, used almost around the clock by more than 350 young athletes.
4: It does sound very, very, very close to. community services. More thought should be put into this.
9: In this letter to the Cowichan Valley Regional District Board of Directors, the Cowichan Valley Minor Hockey Association cites a lack of transparency around the decision, saying it leaves no alternative but to feel that existing user groups were not taken into consideration whatsoever. But emergency management officials say they were left
10: with no choice. This is an emergency response. This is in place at the Cowichan Community Centre this year because all efforts to find another location anywhere in the community failed. The Cowichan
9: Valley Minor Hockey Association declined to comment on camera but pointed Global News to this staff report that shows while no serious incidents have been reported, there have been a total of 50 complaints ranging from public urination to open drug use and theft. Still, there are some in the community that say the space could be a matter of life or death. People
11: need to um, go somewhere where there's some checking up on them, making sure that they're not overdosing. I think it would be a right there for for them to to be at.
9: According to the Cowichan Valley's latest point-in-time homelessness count of the 223 people surveyed, 78% were unsheltered. Overall, the report reflects a nearly 73% increase in the homeless population between 2020 and 2023, putting increased pressure on the local government.
10: And we don't see in our communities now, the way we used to, uh, the willingness or ability of of people who own uh, buildings, community halls, churches, to donate that space for that use um, without any predictability.
9: What they do know is this is not the answer and finding a more ideal location for next year is a top priority. Katie Stanton, Global News.
0: Broken elevators on the Queen of Cowichin made for an inconvenient journey today for passengers with mobility issues. As Richard Zussman reports, with the ship's elevators out of service for the first few sailings, BC ferries brought in porta-potties for people who weren't able to navigate the stairs.
7: It's a surprise traveler on the main car deck of the Queen of Cowichan, a porta-potty.
12: That I loathe porta-potties I always have. I can't
9: do the stairs. Stay in the car.
7: The reason? The two elevators on the ferry traveling between Nanaimo and North Vancouver, both not working late Sunday and into Monday, leaving those with mobility issues stuck on the car deck.
8: We do have elevators throughout the fleet and uh, with the vibration of vessels, sometimes they do uh, go out of service.
7: In order to ensure proper service for travelers, BC Ferry sailing into action, ensuring bathrooms were available for those unable to use the stairs to get to the upper deck and getting one of the elevators repaired midday Monday. We did call in the service contractor right away to get them
8: uh, on board vessel to be able to uh, make repairs to the elevator. And we had porta delivered last night about
7: midnight. BC Ferries continues to experience a wide range of mechanical failures, in part due to sailing conditions, but also due to aging vessels.
1: Every year the vessels get older, as do most of the crew. And, uh, you know, There are challenges, you know, some of these vessels have been in the water since the 60s and 70s. We're not, you know, completely uh, immune to aging.
7: BC Ferries currently in the bidding process for seven new vessels. But for now, the company needs to continue to rely on this aging fleet.
5: This will be the largest capital plan in the history of BC Ferries. uh, And it will provide a a number of new uh, class vessels that will serve our coast for decades to come.
13: Many of our vessels are are at or nearing end of life so we we do daily maintenance we do annual maintenance programs we do quarter life upgrades midlife upgrades three-quarter life upgrades we are spending hundreds of millions of
7: dollars on these vessels as for maintaining elevators bc ferries hopes it works both to avoid having to use porta-potties and to avoid flushing money for maintenance down the toilet richard zussman global news victoria
0: DC's Transportation and Infrastructure Minister Rob Fleming has sent a letter to his federal counterpart about the costly collisions involving commercial vehicles and infrastructure across our province. Keith Baldry joins us live with more. Keith, those overpass strikes are a hot topic here. What is the goal of Rob Fleming's letter?
2: Yeah, Transportation Rob Fleming recently brought in the toughest uh, penalties, enforcement penalties, uh, for instance, such as uh, violations of safety certificate requirements in the entire country. But there's also now appears to be a loophole because we have a hodgepodge system of safety certificates for trucks right across the country. Highway 17A, just the latest in what's been a series of these collisions between trucks and overpasses, uh, which means that companies can do an end run around some of the enforcement provisions by using trucks from other jurisdictions where they have safety certificates uh, in place. So again, it's a loophole. Uh, Transportation Minister Rob Fleming writing to Federal Minister Pablo Rodriguez wanting this loophole closed. Here's the minister today.
5: What we need though in the country is the ability to coordinate across uh, provinces and territorial jurisdictions because it is possible to have, you know, plated trucking companies uh, outside, headquartered outside of British Columbia, doing business in British Columbia uh, that would be harder to bring into compliance. Um, so, you know, we, we brought in the toughest rules in the country in B.C. for a reason, uh, but we also see this out-of-province uh, loophole, if you will, as being significant.
2: So Fleming also wants this issue on the agenda the next time you have federal and provincial transportation ministries meet. Given that this system has been in place since long ago, since 1987, I think a good argument is made that we need an updating, perhaps get rid of the decentralized system and have a more centralized one. So this is going to be a topic of debate in the next meeting.
0: All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Police say a man who was found with gunshot wounds in Coquitlam on Saturday has now died. Officers were called to Westwood Street and Glen Drive just after 4 o'clock Saturday afternoon. The victim was found with life-threatening injuries and two suspects were seen running from the scene. Police now say the victim is a 21-year-old man from Coquitlam. He succumbed to his injuries. His name will not be released to respect the family's privacy.
13: This was a targeted shooting. That happened in a busy area with no regard for public safety. We're working closely with our partners at the Coquitlam RCMP to determine if this shooting had any connection to any other recent shootings in the area.
0: Saturday's shooting came after two other shootings on Thursday and Friday in Coquitlam. Anyone with information on Saturday's shooting is asked to call the Integrated Homicide Investigation Team. A Vancouver man has launched legal action against the city of Vancouver after he says he was attacked and mauled by a Vancouver police dog. It's alleged to have happened back in August and as Catherine Urquhart reports in this global news exclusive, the victim says he was left with serious injuries. A warning, some of the images in this story are disturbing.
14: Sam Salta now requires a cane when walking and going out with his wife. The 33-year-old is still recovering after he was attacked, allegedly by a Vancouver police service dog. I could see the flesh,
1: dirt, and I could see the bones.
14: Salta's injuries were extensive following the incident, which happened outside his East Vancouver home in August. He says he was having a cigarette when the dog suddenly appeared and mauled him.
1: Something grabbed me off the chair onto the ground and started shaking its head left and right and biting my leg. And then I heard two people approaching and I saw them. One of them started telling me to stop attacking the dog.
14: What was going through your mind at the time?
1: That I was going to die.
14: Audio of the dog attacking the five foot five, 132 pound man was captured by a neighbor's surveillance camera. You can also hear someone, presumably the dog handler, giving orders to Salta. Salta's injuries resulted in a C. difficile infection, and he has been unable to work or continue studies to be a pastor. He has filed a civil claim against the two officers involved and the city of Vancouver.
4: The lawsuit here alleges that the high duty uh, was not met by the police officers. The claim sounds in assault and battery and negligence.
14: Salta says the officers eventually apologized. For the Syrian refugee, the attack was especially terrifying and not what he expected in Canada.
1: I came here because it's supposedly a safe place, but after this, I don't think there's anywhere safe
14: vancouver police say an internal investigation into the matter will continue once the office of the police complaint commissioner completes its investigation katherine urquhart
13: global news
0: a rift is growing between bc search and rescue and the provincial government
13: if it's not resolved um there there, there are risks to the public
0: the allegations and what's at stake for the volunteers providing a vital service next on the News Hour, Apple's battery gate settlement, how much the tech giant is paying out for deliberately slowing down certain phones, and when Canadians could see some money. Plus. Okay, next, okay. <laughs> Making history at the Golden Globes, Lily Gladstone becomes the first indigenous person to win for best actress in a drama and pays tribute to her community. That's still to come tonight. Right now though, Vernon Search and Rescue is standing down in the search for a missing North Okanagan senior with Alzheimer's. 83-year-old Robert Lee Baines disappeared in the early morning of Tuesday, January 2nd from his home in Coldstream. Despite an extensive ground search, he still hasn't been found. And now police say Vernon Search and Rescue has stopped its search for Baines, but the RCMP will continue looking. Underwater recovery teams are also searching in the lake for Baines, given his home's proximity to the water. Anyone with information about his disappearance is asked to call the RCMP. And a scathing letter to B.C. Premier David Eby from the former head of the B.C. Search and Rescue Association is accusing the ministry overseeing search and rescues of a lack of respect for volunteers. Christian Robinson reports. 3,400
15: volunteers from 78 SAR groups across the province save an average 1,000 lives each year. But the retired former CEO of the BC Search and Rescue Association says staff at the ministry responsible have no respect for the skills and knowledge of these unpaid volunteers. The allegations outlined in a highly critical letter to the Premier.
13: These are highly motivated individuals that their, their sole purpose is to save lives, and when they come up against a, a ministry that does not respect their experience, does not respect their volunteer time, it's demotivating.
2: Nine one two base, go ahead.
15: Dwight Jochem says the Ministry of Emergency Management and Climate Readiness isn't working with the volunteers who built BC's SAR system or heeding their advice on improved practices.
13: Uh, We're not seen as equal partners in this search and rescue environment.
15: Houston SAR says there are currently no search dog teams north of Kamloops. It wants to add a canine and has the support of local police and the district. The volunteer and dog have passed initial certification but cannot continue training without approval from EMCR.
4: Every time we try to improve our skills, develop new capabilities, we, we get turned down. We get no's from EMCR. And what's been happening
10: for the last three years is, is they've declared a moratorium on all new skills capabilities.
13: I've heard several uh, other volunteers call them the Ministry of No. Uh, they would say, no, nope, uh, it's, uh, it's not happening. It's not our priority. We don't want to do it.
15: Global News asked for an interview with the minister responsible. Instead, we were sent a statement from Acting Minister George Heyman who said he respects and appreciates the training, knowledge and dedication of SAR volunteers. The concerns raised in this letter are very troubling and I intend to meet with the BC Search and Rescue Association this month to discuss and address those concerns.
7: We just need to get back to the table um, and start collaboration again in a meaningful way. So far we have been uh, signaled that that is not a possibility and that is why we are so upset
13: if it's not resolved um th- there there are risks to the public
15: for example not adopting new technology yokum says slows down the evolution of search and rescue to be a more efficient and safe organization kristen robinson global news
0: up next sticker shock for an ev owner
4: we were shocked by how much this battery cost Costs more than the car that's crazy
0: Hyundai says it was a system error but only after the car was written off also ahead want to buy a fire truck the bc town unloading a brand new rig for the right price well if you're in the market for a new electric vehicle you may want to have a checklist before you enter the dealership especially around battery replacement cost one bc ev owner was shocked when he discovered the price of replacing his ev battery was going to cost more than the value of the car. With more, let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Andrea. And Ann? Thanks, Sophie. This story was first brought to our attention by
12: two BC-based auto journalists. Like many, they were stunned to learn how much an EV battery can cost to replace. Now they're sharing their findings with Consumer Matters, hoping to help future EV owners.
4: have we got a story to tell you. It was a
12: story that shocked auto journalists Zach and Andrea Spencer, a Vancouver area electric car owner who discovered the cost of replacing his damaged EV battery would cost more than his vehicle brand new.
4: We were shocked by how much this battery
12: costs. Zach and Andrea Spencer have and been so following the EV owner's ordeal ever since he reached out to them. Zach says the nightmare began for Kyle Sue when he says he was on a road trip in BC's interior and ran over something while driving his 2022 Hyundai Ionic 5 fully electric vehicle, similar to this one. At the time, the owner was told there was damage to the battery protection cover, which also impacted the
4: battery. The body shop said no the battery has actually been impacted and you need a new battery. So I have to replace the battery otherwise... The
12: owner was quoted over $61,000 for the battery including tax and labor. The car itself was valued at $55,000 brand new. Kyle says his battery wasn't covered under warranty and ICBC ended up writing off the vehicle. The corporation telling Consumer Matters the total cost of repairs to the vehicle including tax, installation, electrical resets and a new battery would have been over $65,000. But since this story broke, Hyundai Canada has told Consumer Matters in the case of Kyle Sue's vehicle the damage was to the battery cooling system and the car company did not have the opportunity to assess the repairs before the vehicle was disposed of by ICBC. But Hyundai Canada also told us the battery in the case of this vehicle required replacement due to impact damage, which is not a defect in manufacturing. Thus, the replacement was deemed not covered under the warranty. Hyundai Canada also stating the quote provided by the dealer to Mr. Su to replace his battery was due to a system process producing retail prices automatically, which were calculated incorrectly for that specific battery. As soon as we were made aware of this issue four weeks ago, we remedied this issue in our system. The automotive manufacturer also says the cost to Hyundai Canada for a new EV battery can span from $8,000 to $35,000. Still, for the Spencers, this story serves as a cautionary tale to ask questions before you buy a vehicle.
8: If you impact the battery, how is it assessed? What are the processes in place? And then finally, both Zach and I recommend gap insurance or replacement insurance.
12: Checklists aside, Zach Spencer says consumers deserve better. Better.
4: Buying the car is one thing what are you going to do for people after that? That's the real wake up call for the entire industry, not just Hyundai.
12: ICBC also told us Mr. Su's damaged vehicle was sold to a salvage buyer to help recoup recoup costs and is no longer in its possession. The insurance corporation also said Kyle Su had purchased ICBC optional collision insurance, which covers the cost of repairs in situations like this. But his overall insurance rate has increased by over $600 due to a variety of factors. ICBC does offer new vehicle replacement plus insurance to customers to be guaranteed a new vehicle in the event of a claim that results in a total loss, but it's recommended you speak to a broker about your options. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca.
0: All right, thanks, Ann. Apple has started issuing payments in a long-running class-action lawsuit over claims it deliberately slowed down older iPhone models in 2017. The settlement applies to American customers and is worth roughly $500 million U.S. Payments work out to about $92 per claim. Apple previously denied any wrongdoing, but later admitted it does slow down some iPhone models as they age. A hearing to approve a similar settlement in Canada will be held later this month. Well, if you happen to have a spare million dollars lying around, a B.C. city has just the opportunity for you. The city of Powell River is selling one of its unused fire trucks. The bidding starts at one million dollars. The Pierce Maxi Sabre fire engine was ordered by the city in 2022, and now they've found they don't actually need it. Powell River has posted the fire rescue pumper truck on the provincial government's B.C. bid website. Coming up, a painful anniversary.
6: I miss her.
0: Four years after Iran shot down Flight 752, how victims' families say the regime is still trying to silence them. Also ahead.
1: It creates a greater demand on the healthcare system and healthcare uh, workers.
0: Complex care. New research reveals hospitals are dealing with more complicated cases. Today marks the four-year anniversary of the downing of Ukraine International Flight 752. Everyone on board was killed when Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard shot down the plane, including 176 people with connections to Canada. As people gathered to remember their loved ones, the Iranian regime continues to target their families. Negar Moshtahedi reports.
6: This is Sufi, this is not me, and this is Sahan.
16: Four years and four irreplaceable losses for Vahid Emami: His wife, his daughter, brother-in-law and his wife, gone. Oh, I miss her. All killed in the downing of Ukraine International Airlines Flight 752. His daughter would have turned nine this year.
6: I'm never going to see how she grow and what she going to look like. When she's going to be an adult, I ask one of my friends to give me that, uh, you know, painting. And I say, this is Sophie. She's she going to be some lady like that when she grow up.
16: Making this anniversary more painful, Sophie's grandmother in Iran was recently arrested by police.
6: They just took her and beat her and uh, put her in jail.
16: Her crime? Attending the funeral of Army Tegerovand, who died weeks after she was allegedly shoved by Iran's morality police, activists say, for not wearing a hijab.
6: I'm angry. I'm mad because uh, uh, I'm here and... uh, uh, I think I can do nothing. I'm far away from them.
16: The arrest of Manzar Zarabi sending everyone into shock. (inaudible) This Vancouver woman is also deeply connected to the arrested matriarch. Her daughter was married to that woman's son, both killed on that flight. And the two PS752 mothers are bonded for life. (inaudible) She is the memory of my son-in-law, she says, and from her, I gain my strength. Canada, Sweden, Ukraine and the UK have taken Iran to the International Court of Justice in The Hague, seeking accountability for the shooting down of Flight 752.
6: We will keep fighting from here or maybe from Iran.
16: For Emami, it has been four long years ensuring the loss of his loved ones was not in vain.
6: Maybe they put me in jail or beat me or whatever, but I have nothing to lose.
16: Negar Moshehedi, Global News. Prime Minister
0: Justin Trudeau says his government is looking at ways to list Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps as a terrorist organization. He made the statement after attending an Ontario ceremony commemorating the victims. A new UBC study has found hospitals' patients' needs are more complex than they used to be. Researchers analyzed nearly 3.5 million non-elective hospitalizations between 2002 and 2017. They found, near the end of the 15-year period, patients were more likely to have multiple medical issues and rely on a variety of medications. Patients were also more likely to be 75 years old or older upon arrival to hospital through the emergency department and suffer an adverse medical event while staying in hospital.
1: More complicated patients require more time and effort to take care of and they're likely to use more resources and more likely to have adverse outcomes. This suggests that we need to continue to be proactive uh, in preparing for these things and uh, invest in uh, the healthcare workforce and resources to support healthcare providers to take care of these patients in the hospital.
0: Despite the increase in patient complexity, the study says there has not been an increase in negative outcomes for patients suggesting hospitals are managing to adapt to people's needs. Just ahead, a drone's eye view of some disturbing pollution.
4: And that really started to make me wonder where the oil was going.
0: Where the substance has spread. And where it was coming from. Where the substance has spread weeks after a train derailment. Plus.
9: I feel like things are going to get a little easier.
0: The impact of the first Indigenous Acting Award at the Golden Globes. How Lily Gladstone is helping to pave the way. Other questions tonight surrounding a train derailment in North Delta seven weeks ago. Multiple cars went off the tracks in the middle of the night. Burlington Northern Santa Fe said after the cleanup there was no ongoing risk to the public. But as Janet Brown reports,
17: not everyone agrees.
4: So, what I see in here is a blue sheen on the surface that's some sort of oil or oil byproduct.
17: Conservationist John Easton is worried about the environment after a BNSF train derailment involving two locomotives and five rail cars November 19th, adjacent to Highway 91 in Delta and not far from the watershed park.
4: This could be crude over here and this could also be some sort of bunker fuel.
17: He says a large quantity of diesel fuel and other oil ended up in ditches and ponds next to the Metro Vancouver trail system.
4: Well I see oil on the surface, you can see a blue sheen but you also see a brown liquid that's underneath it and when you look at the containment boom over here, the absorbent boom, you can see that whatever is being absorbed into it is very brown and oil like.
17: Easton says he put up a drone hours after the derailment which showed birds swimming in oil contaminated ditches. He's also worried the oil has flowed through culverts to the south side of the highway into blueberry and cornfields and eventually flowing into Mud Bay.
4: And that really started to make me wonder where the oil was going and where it was coming from.
17: The Environment Ministry says in a statement, a locomotive impacted another train locomotive, causing an estimated 8,000 liters of fuel to spill into the railway ditch. BNSF has retained an environmental contractor and begun surface, soil, and water inspections as well as remediation. The ministry says it is monitoring the site cleanup until we are satisfied the area is fully remediated. We have reached out to BNSF asking what materials escaped from the train after the derailment, as well as cleanup efforts, but we have not heard back in time for our deadline. For now, HAZMAT teams will remain on site, continuing to try and contain the contaminants using booms, sandbags and absorbent pads. Janet Brown, Global News.
0: All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon once again with a look at our weather forecast.
8: And uh, winter took its time, Christy, but it's finally here. Mm -hmm. It's definitely here, that's for sure. You know, I just got an email from Jana Brown, the person who uh, just did that story, and she says it's coming down the snow that is in big flakes and sticking to some of the roads. So we've had a transition back to snow and wet snow across some of the regions, outflow winds dropping the temperature as well, and parts of uh, Vancouver Island as well. We are not expecting it to last too long. By about 8 o'clock at least, we'll see a transition to rainfall, and that's partly because of the transition in winds that we'll see. So right now, a southeasterly flow is expected gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour for the inner coast outer coast 100 kilometers an hour wind warnings are in effect but that's going to switch to be more of a southerly or westerly flow as we head through the overnight period now we are going to see strong winds for metro vancouver although we're not under a wind warning so power outages are still possible for our region overnight and we have the potential for coastal flooding tomorrow morning with the high tide so be aware of that the strong winds uh, causing that potential snowfall also for for interior regions and especially the mountain passes. Starting right now through Wednesday morning, do not travel the mountain passes. We're talking about the potential for 50 centimeters of snow, Coquihalla, Allison Pass, as well as the Kootenai Pass region. Now as we head into our Wednesday though, it all clears out. We're going to see a strong northerly flow, Arctic front shifting in, dropping the temperature. It does bring in the potential for some snowfall though as we head into our Thursday. Quick look at your Tuesday everyone across the region. We'll see Uh, snowfall across these areas Uh, a little bit more expected in the columbia kootenai region and for our region a risk of thunderstorms tonight and into tomorrow morning here's a quick look at your five-day forecast bright spots expected on wednesday though flurries expected on thursday and then it looks like we drop in temperature as we head into the weekend tonight central windows weather window coming to you from squamish kelsey saying that she thinks that they're looking at each other with mutual respect great (laughs) shot thanks kelsey for that one
0: Is that what mutual respect looks like? (laughs) All right, thanks, Christy. Squire, I look at you with respect. I don't know if it's mutual though. Oh no, it's very much mutual. Oh, that's nice, okay. Yes, it is. What have you got coming up?
10: Well, the Canucks just finished um, beating the New York Rangers rather handily, I might add. Six to three, we'll show you the highlights. Also coming up tonight.
0: This is for every little res kid. An historic win at the Golden Globes and why it's a victory for a much bigger community. All right, uh, breaking news.
10: What is it? Well, the Canucks. Oh, I thought you, uh, I thought you had something. No. I mean, the Canucks is it. kind of breaking news. Some people may have seen it already, but anyway, at some point, the Vancouver Canucks are going to morph from pleasant surprises to actual Stanley Cup contenders. They might have already done that. Everybody is waiting for them around the NHL to come back to Earth. But they continue to stay in an orbit above most of the other teams. Tonight, they faced one of the few teams, at least before the game, that had more points than them, although only one more point, the New York Rangers. Now, they beat the Canucks in overtime earlier this season at Rogers Arena, but they couldn't beat them tonight at MSG. And once again, just like Saturday in New Jersey, the Canucks used the lotto line, six, Brock Besser, 40, Elias Pedersen, 9, J.T. Miller, if you don't know, as their primary weapon, and it blew up the Rangers' defense at the hallowed venue known as Madison Square Gardens. Here we go. The Rangers actually scored first in the power play. The reason they scored here, you can see Demko has lost his stick. It's out in the slot area, and because of that, he really couldn't do much on Vincent Trocek's shot, so that made it 1-0 for New York. But the Canucks quickly answered that, with a lotto line goal. It's 6 to 40 to 9. And JT Miller has tied at 1-1 less than a minute after the opening goal of the game. Then Nils Hoaglander and Nils Oman do a Nils squared thing. It's Oman. Well, Quinn Hughes is going to wait till someone's open. There we go. Now it's Oman. Now it's Hoaglander. And now it's 2-1. That was beautiful. Not the best goal you'll see in this highlight package, but a nice one nonetheless. Then Brock Besser as the lotto line strikes again just before the end of the first period with a move on Shosturkin. 25th of the year and the Canucks go to the break, up three to one, another big first period. Now, Thatcher Demko, got a lot of goal support tonight but he did have to make 39 saves in this one stops lafreniere right there and then lafreniere would set up artemi panarin that's a bit of a bad pass from brock besser panarin makes a nice shot here and gets the rangers to within one. Oh, madison square gardens was all fired up they thought this was the sign the rangers were going to come back but then Elias Pedersen took the air out of the building, unless you were a Canucks fan, and there were a few at Madison Square Garden tonight, look at this play by Pedersen, gets his own rebound, and is calm and relaxed, and fits the puck in, that little mail slot that's there, and it's now
7: 4-2.
10: And then Hoaglander decides, hey, I can have a highlight real goal too, and he kind of does. Pew suter nice little pass. Oh, between the legs and a goal. Take another look at this. Now that is clever. Second of the game for Hoaglander, 5-2. It was 5-3 and then Elias Pettersson, he saw William Nylander get a new contract today that'll pay him 11.5 million per season. I think the new contract for Pettersson when it comes about will start at at least 12 million per season. Uh, speaking of contracts, the Vancouver Whitecaps and Ryan Gould have been talking about an extension on his deal that'll run out this season. Gould doesn't want to leave Vancouver. He likes the way things have gone for him. And I'm guessing the Whitecaps do as well. At least they better because he's their best player. Now, all the Vancouver Whitecaps have to do is translate that love for what Gould does into digits. Because, as I said, he wants to continue being a Whitecap.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um since since arriving um a couple of years ago um you know we've loved the city um loved being a part of the club so if that were to continue we'd be more than happy ideally me and the the club we would like to to get something sorted sooner rather than later but um, yeah the we're talking the conversations are going on and um, yeah hopefully hopefully we'll have some good news at some point
10: Tiger Woods has ended his 27-year relationship with Nike. All of his wins in the PGA have come with him wearing a swoosh on his shirt. He's been a walking Nike billboard since turning pro in 1996, which means, as of this moment, Tiger Woods has absolutely nothing to wear. Oh. Well, I mean, his whole closet would Nike. That's not the Nike. dress
0: code on a golf
10: course. No, but he'll find.
0: He'll find something.
10: Somebody oh, else okay. will give him a shirt, I'm sure.
0: Thank you, Squire. Up next, Indigenous impact. How the Golden Globes made history. Jordan Armstrong is standing by in the newsroom with a look ahead to Global News at 11 tonight. Jordan?
4: Sophie, of course, will keep an eye on the weather tonight and any power outages and travel troubles that may arise. Also, the mayor of New Westminster's trip to Dubai, and who paid for it, is expected to be a hot topic at tonight's council meeting. Patrick Johnstone attended the COP28 climate summit, but a couple of councillors say they didn't know he was going until they saw posts on Instagram. These stories and more tonight on Global News at 11. Sophie.
0: All right, thanks, Jordan. History was made at the Golden Globes last night. Lily Gladstone won Best Actress for her performance in the drama, Killers of the Flower Moon. Gladstone is the first indigenous woman to win the award and gave part of her acceptance speech in the Blackfeet language. Global's Heather Urex West has more.
11: Why did you come here? In Killers of the Flower Moon, Lily Gladstone steals the show. The movie tells the true story of the Osage Nation, where in the 1920s, Indigenous people were murdered after oil was discovered on their traditional lands.
6: And the Golden Globe goes to Lily Gladstone!
11: With her Best Actress win, Gladstone becomes the first Indigenous woman to win the Best Dramatic Actress category. A victory she says was not hers alone. This is for... Every little res
15: kid, every little urban kid, every little native kid out there who has a dream.
5: I think just to hear our Blackfoot language spoken on a stage like that was very special. Um, That alone, um, you know, felt really
12: nice.
11: Gladstone is from the Blackfeet Nation in Montana, part of the Blackfoot Confederacy that includes the Kainai, Siksika and Bikani people in southern Alberta.
5: I was a red kid, I grew up in Sixaga, Um and I've always wanted to be a filmmaker, it was my number one dream and but you know from a young age I didn't think it was possible for me because I didn't see people who looked like me in movies or in television.
14: Seeing this type of representation at this level has been just, I was awestruck last night.
11: For actress Michelle Thrush whose film and TV career goes back 30 years, the significance of Gladstone's win is impossible to deny. We just have tried for so long to get these
9: doors opened we've kicked down a few and now you know things are just i feel like things are going to get a little easier for us to to continue doing what we do
11: we need to be quiet for a while heavily favored to win the oscar too, lily gladstone may be the first to collect these accolades but in inspiring others she's unlikely to be the last heather Urex west global news calgary
0: Yes, and her acceptance speech was so great. Um, All right, Christy, still lots of weather to talk about.
8: Yes, so a big concern for uh, winds overnight tonight, although we'll see a bit of wet snow. But I really am more so concerned about the winds. uh, Southeasterly switching to be southwesterly, and that could impact Metro Vancouver, although we're not on a wind warning. So power outages are possible and a risk of thunderstorms. And then as we head into a Wednesday, we'll start to see a clearing and the temperatures drop as we head into the weekend. As you can see, the next concern for snow is on Thursday. So I hope I hope a late start to the winter doesn't mean like a late end to the winter. I don't know if it works
0: that way. Yeah, we don't want to go until July. (laughs) (laughs) No, not July.
10: Okay, good. All
0: right. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a good night, all.